Det här är ett poddradioprogram från Radio AF. Someone will remember as I say, even in another time. Hi and welcome to Someone Will Remember Us. I'm Edmund Farby and in this podcast we talk about LGBTQ history. Today we are talking about Sappho, the very emblem of same-sex love in spite of the fact that we know very little with certainty about her and her life. That is not to say that her poetry isn't filled with homoeroticism or that she hasn't meant a lot to the community as a reference point and icon. However, we know exceedingly little about her as an individual. She wrote nine books of poetry, but only fragments have survived. Many biographical accounts of her were written after her death, and they're often not that reliable. Some were written with distinct motives, some were based on legends rather than on facts. Most just wanted to be sensational. We all know how media works today, Imagine media in a time when you couldn't go online and fact-check the text you read. Lies were made up and then passed around between different writers. So, I'm going to start out talking about what we do know about Sappho, and then I will spend some time talking about what we don't know, and what people have believed to know about her, all the way from the Hellenistic period to her contemporary status as the goddess of Guinness. Deathless Aphrodite of the spangled mind, child of Zeus who twist lures, I beg you, do not break with hard pains, O lady, my heart. But come here, if ever before you caught my voice far off, and listening left your father's golden house and came, yoking your car. And fine birds brought you, quick sparrows over the black earth, whipping their wings down the sky through midair, they arrived. But you, O blessed one, smiled in your deathless face, and asked what, now again, I have suffered and why, now again, I am calling out, and what I want to happen most of all in my crazy heart. Whom should I persuade, now again? To lead you back into our love. Who, O Sappho, is wronging you? For if she flees, soon she will pursue. If she refuses gifts, rather will she give them. If she does not love, soon she will love, even unwilling. Come to me now, loose me from hard care and all my heart longs to accomplish, accomplish. You be my ally. That was Fragment One by Sappho in Anne Carson's translation. It's often called Ode to Aphrodite as well. It's the only poem we have by Sappho that's complete, or more or less complete, that is. So, what do we know about Sappho? 
We know that Sappho was a Greek woman living on the island Lesbos from about 630 BC. She had two or three brothers called Ergilius, Larcus, and Caraxus. I'm sorry about the pronunciation. Her mother's name might have been Cleis, and Sappho might have had a daughter also named Cleis. Her father might have died when she was a child. In her adult years, Sappho was a poet, and contemporaries called her the Tenth Muse, or the Mortal Muse, due to her talent and popularity. Her poems were written as songs, and Sappho would probably perform them singing in front of a small group of people. She was at some point exiled to Sicily, and that's how much we know about her. After her death, people were still very interested in her poetry and her private life. All kinds of ancient writers mentioned her. Some of the few fragments of her poetry still known are actual quotes taken from the writings of other people. For instance, Apollonius Discolus wrote a text about grammar in the 2nd century and he used a quote from Sappho to illustrate a grammatical rule. That quote is only found in this text and we don't have any clues about what the context of the quote was. Sometimes, even more annoyingly, ancient writers make a reference to Sappho without quoting her. They were like, wow, this is just like that one awesome poem Sappho wrote that everyone knows about. And of course, contemporary readers would know that one poem, but unfortunately we don't. So that's one huge gap in our knowledge about Sappho. We hardly know any ever poetry. But there are so many more things we do not know. Let's start out with a very simple thing we don't know, to illustrate exactly how little we do know. I said at the top that Sappho wrote nine books of poetry. And wrote was not a very accurate word to use. We don't know if she was literate. It's very possible Sappho just recited the poems and that someone else wrote them down during or after her lifetime. Another thing that might seem a simple fact, and that is often passed around as such, is that Sappho was a teacher and ran a school of sorts for girls. Now, we can't be sure she was a teacher. To begin with, the ideas of teacher or school are anachronistic. It's possible and even likely that this theory has been invented to explain why Sappho so often wrote about women, why it seems she had an audience consisting of a group of women, why she lived with other women. If you believe that she was a teacher, it's easy to assume that all these women fluttering in and out of Sappho's poetry and life were just her female students. However, if she wasn't a teacher, and she might very well not have been, she was probably just gay. She might have been both teacher and gay, of course, but it's very plausible that she was just simply gay. However, we can't be completely sure about her sexuality. As everyone probably knows, the word lesbian comes from the name for the island Sappho lived on, Lesbos. Someone who lived on Lesbos was called lesbian, and in that sense, Sappho was definitely a lesbian woman. Was she lesbian in the other sense of the word, though? Sexuality was, first of all, not constructed the same way in ancient Greece as it is today. Labeling yourself as either gay, straight or bisexual wouldn't have been the way people did things. Sexuality was more about behavior than identity. 
Of course, this argument has been made before about Sappho and countless other people considered a part of LGBTQ history. The argument is often used as a way to discredit the efforts of LGBTQ people finding inspiration and solace in the past. The argument is used to say, hey, you cannot apply modern terms on dead people because they would not themselves have recognized those terms. But it often roughly translates to, hey, don't get your hopes up. LGBTQ people are a modern invention. You don't have a history. So when I say that sexuality wasn't viewed in the same way in Sappho's times as in ours, this is not the argument I want to make. Denying someone the access to history and the access to analyzing and labeling history is denying someone their right to exist at all. So what do we know about her sexuality? We do know that Sappho's poetry is very often written by women. This is an excerpt out of one of Sappho's most well-known fragments, performed by Anne Kaishin. No speaking is left in me. No, tongue breaks, and thin fire is racing under skin, and in eyes no sight. And drumming. Fills ears, and cold sweat holds me. And shaking. Grips me all greener than. Grass. I am and dead, or almost. I seem to me. As you hear, this poem, uh, fragment 31, is highly emotional and it's definitely romantical in tone. And it is about a woman. It's very, very clear that the poem in question is about a woman. And I think it's fair to assume that this poem and others indicate that she was in fact gay, uh, or at least that she was attracted to women. Now, writers of ancient Greece loved talking about Sappho. Several so-called biographical accounts were written about her life, and it's up for speculation whether or not these biographical accounts are actually true. There were also a few comedies written about her, and in some of these accounts, she's described as a promiscuous straight woman who had several male lovers. A pervasive theory about Sappho's death is that she was heartbroken over a man called Phaeon and threw herself off a cliff. You can find this account of her death in many ancient sources, but its credibility is very much diminished by the mythological themes mixed in with the supposedly biographical accounts. Phaeon was, according to the legend, a very ugly and old fairy man. Aphrodite asked him to take her across a body of water and in return she made him beautiful and young. Now that he was attractive, Sappho fell in love with him, but he rejected her. If goddesses are involved in any historical account, historians do tend to get a little bit suspicious. And today I've had the impression that a theory about Phaeon is often dismissed as a mere fairy tale. So, according to some ancient sources, Sappho was in love with a man. Others say she loved women. Maximus of Tyre, for instance, said that she had three girlfriends called Attis, Gerinna and Anactoria. All three are mentioned in Sappho's fragments. There are also a few other names mentioned as possible names of Sappho's companions. And then there were some people who said, there's a bunch of rumors about Sappho being gay, but we don't believe in them. And there were some other people who said, well, you know, they must have been 
two different women called Sappho. So it's a little unclear what the truth is, but already during ancient times, the word lesbian was used to signify women engaged in romantic relationships with other women. It seems lesbian women, meaning women from Lesbos, had a reputation for being lesbian. The playwright Aristophanes used the word lesbianize in one of his plays in the context one woman wanted to lesbianize another woman. Either way, when we move through history towards the Middle Ages, all talk of Sappho's sexuality grows quiet. She's still thought of as a prolific poet, but there is a theory that the reason we hardly have any poetry left from her is that poems that were too obviously gay were destroyed in the Middle Ages. This is obviously a difficult thing to prove, but somewhat plausible since we do know that a. documents were willfully destroyed in the Middle Ages and b. the Christian church wasn't big on homosexuality. Still, it seems at least the translators of Sappho's poems tried to cover her sexuality up since her poems were mistranslated and pronouns changed to make them more heterosexual. Up into the 19th century, Sappho was still regarded as a very talented but very straight woman. Most translators continued changing pronouns, critics analyzed her work and the biographical sources about her with a certain bias. The myth of Phaon proved long-lived. Many of Sappho's poems have been translated in the light of this straight love interest. You heard fragment 31 being read earlier. The object of love in this fragment was, for instance, believed to be Phaon by Alessandro Veri in the 18th century. Today, this poem is, of course, generally read as a love poem to a woman. John Donne, somewhat surprisingly to me, uh, was one of few historic critics who considered her gay. However, in 19th century, Sappho became a role model for women's rights, and towards the end of the century, she was turning into a lesbian role model as well. Since then, Sappho has been the lesbian icon, and I want to stress that whether Sappho was attracted to women or not, it is a fact that she has influenced the feminist and the LGBTQ movement. Judith Butler, one of my favorite people in the whole world, once said, as far as I knew, there was only me and a woman called Sappho, meaning that the two of them had influenced both feminism and the LGBTQ movement. Of course, Judith Butler is exaggerating because some of our most prolific feminists have been LGBTQ people, uh, but it's kind of well put. Hopefully we will get to know more and more about Sappho as time passes. Fragments of her poetry are still being found. In 2014, a page containing two poems by Sappho was discovered. One of the poems is very fragmented. It's called The Kuiper's Poem and it's a love poem addressed to Aphrodite. The other poem is much more intact. It's called The Brother's Poem because it's believed to be about Sappho's two brothers, Caraxos and Laricos. This is a huge discovery because we hadn't previously had any documents written by Sappho talking about her family in quite this way. It also confirms later biographical texts written about Sappho after her death that mention Caraxos and Laricos, so this confirmation gives these texts a greater credibility. 
If you want to learn more about Sappho, I do, of course, first and foremost, recommend reading her own writing. The translation I prefer is by Anne Carson. In 2002, she published all of Sappho's fragments, except the two poems found in 2014, obviously, in a book called If Not Winter. It's gorgeous. She has translated every single fragment, even the ones who consist of just one word. She has used a very simple, everyday kind of language. And this gives the book a sort of modern, minimalistic feel to it. And I don't know if it's the most faithful translation, because I don't know Greek. But it's a beautiful read. And the notes are great too, in the back of the book. The title of this podcast, Someone Will Remember Us, I Say Even Another Time, is from Anne Carson's translation of Sappho. Thanks for listening today. And please stay safe. I've read the news today and, well, it's it's not a very pleasant word out there all the time. So stay safe and remember, someone will remember us even another time.